Good morning. It's Thursday, March 4th. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Today, the House of Representatives will not be in session at the Capitol. The House canceled today's business after Capitol Police warned of a possible militant plot to attack the building. The Washington Post reports that people who are still working were told to take precautions, including parking in underground garages. Today is significant because March 4th was the original presidential inauguration day before the Constitution was amended in 1932. Some followers of far-right conspiracy theories wrongly believe today could be the day Donald Trump returns to power. Now, this move to cancel today's House business comes during a week of hearings that were investigating security failures on the day Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Now, one of the main points of criticism in those hearings has been about how intelligence was shared and acted upon. This time, the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI issued a bulletin about extremist chatter. Both today and Saturday came up. Saturday is March 6th. That'll be exactly two months since the attack. The Post spoke to this researcher who tracks extremist content, and he says, online, where extremists are gathering, there's a lot of talk about this week. But he's not seen the same kind of specific calls to violence that were posted ahead of the January 6th attack. The House sped up its schedule so that members could wrap up last night. But before they did, they passed legislation protecting voting rights. That measure would guarantee early and mail-in voting, among other things. The House also passed the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. That would ban chokeholds and no-knock warrants, as well as get rid of qualified immunity for law enforcement. The Senate plans to move forward with its session today, considering the $1.9 trillion pandemic relief bill. On the campaign trail, Joe Biden promised to get tough on authoritarian regimes. And in the last few days, he's punished Saudi and Russian officials. But critics say what the U.S. president did is not enough and might make matters worse. After releasing an intelligence report on the role Saudis played in the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, the Biden administration imposed sanctions on members of the Saudi government. And in response to the attempted assassination of opposition politician Alexei Navalny, the U.S. levied similar sanctions against high-ranking members of Russia's government. In The New Yorker, Robin Wright writes about how, as a candidate, Joe Biden took an aggressive stance against Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Here's Biden back in 2019. Khashoggi was, in fact, murdered and dismembered. And I believe in the order of the crown prince. And I would make it very clear we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. MBS has denied involvement, but the U.S. report says he approved the killing. Wright says those sanctions are weak compared to what the Saudis did. And she points out that Biden has pared back the no weapons promise. While the U.S. will not sell weapons to wage war in Yemen, it's still allowing the sale of arms for defending the Saudi kingdom. The Biden administration is also denying visas to 76 lower-level Saudis. But Wright says the message that's being sent is, if push comes to shove, lower-level players might get punished. But the overall Saudi-U.S. relationship remains too important to risk. 
For a good counterpart to this piece on U.S.-Saudi relations, let's turn to analysis from The New Yorker's Russia expert, Masha Gessen, who says Biden is, similarly, not applying nearly enough pressure to Russia. Gessen writes, Biden must know the sanctions he just announced will bounce right off Putin. After all, that's how it was when Biden was serving as vice president and Obama imposed sanctions. Gessen says the fact that Biden is now choosing to follow the same slap-on-the-wrist playbook as past presidents shows that he's only willing to do the bare minimum in standing up to Putin. Gessen and Wright are both arguing the Biden administration's first steps against authoritarian governments raise questions about whether Biden is really willing to be tough with the world's dictators. If you or your kids are not big fans of needles, you'll appreciate this story. We are living through one of the biggest mass vaccination sprints in history, and countries all over the world are depending on this humble little technology invented over 170 years ago, the hypodermic needle. Now, some researchers are working on a more modern, needle-free way to keep people safe. The Wall Street Journal reports the current vaccine push is creating this gold rush to develop new, less painful ways of inoculating people that don't involve long needles. Now, this is not a new idea, by the way. The journal says for decades, the industry has been looking for alternatives. But aside from oral polio vaccines and nasal sprays for the flu, there's never really been any serious challengers to the needle. Yeah, this article has a sort of counterintuitive premise here. Needles are cheap to make, but expensive to use. Okay, I'll explain. It doesn't take much to manufacture needles. It's pretty inexpensive. But when you tally up the army of trained professionals that are needed to administer vaccines, plus the cost of refrigerating vaccine vials, a global vaccination drive that depends on needles actually ends up costing a lot. Now researchers are spending big money looking for a better way. Some sound pretty futuristic, such as this one, and I got to read it because it's a lot. A device that painlessly implants a vaccine-imbued tube of sugars smaller than a grain of rice under the skin. Oof, the image of that, of things crawling on my skin. But this is good science, right? Other proposals include special patches and little tablets that dissolve under your tongue. Now, you'll want to see what these things look like because it's pretty striking. Tap the notification we send during the show to link to the full story. These scientists are picturing a world where vaccine boosters could be sent to people in the mail or where vaccines could sit on shelves at room temperature in pharmacies across the world. So far, it looks like these possible delivery methods may be many years away from being ready for any of us to use. But we could need annual COVID vaccines, meaning we may need better delivery systems. Mars is kind of having a moment right now. There is a NASA rover rolling around on the red planet at the moment. There are multiple missions planned to Mars happening. Various countries have launched them. And Mars is right now on the cover of National Geographic. There's a story in there by Nadia Drake. She's got a PhD in genetics and a track record of strong journalism about science, especially space exploration. So she's into this stuff. But here... She's asking a provocative question. The headline of her piece is, 
Why are people so dang obsessed with Mars? <laughs> right. Drake writes, it's kind of a weird choice. You know, Mars is not the brightest planet. It's not the closest planet. It's definitely not the easiest to get to from Earth. Frankly, Jupiter and Saturn, they look a lot cooler. And Drake argues it's not even the most likely place that we might find extraterrestrial life. Still, it seems like we all got Mars on our brains. Now, the history of our love for this planet goes back centuries, long before leaving Earth was even possible. Drake's story explains, Our modern obsession with Mars owes a lot to Mariner 9. That was the first spacecraft to orbit Mars in 1971. The photos that spacecraft sent back to us just rocked the world. Not just because they were new. The thing is, they were familiar. The images and data reminded people of Earth. Yeah, and that led to the questions that inspired generations of scientists. Was anything ever alive on Mars? And could we live there someday? Drake explains that might be the key to why we are so obsessed with the planet, even if it's not the flashiest one out there. It's similar enough to Earth that we can imagine something living there, because we'd love to know that we're not alone in the universe. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 